Uh, the sermon today is, is focused on justice. We're in this series where we're talking about refreshing our focus. This entire year is about refreshing. We're going to be talking about the, the fundamental functions of the faith that, that make it meaningful. And we're going to say this a lot this year. Uh, faith in Jesus is only as meaningful as it is practical. And, and so today, what we want to look into is this whole issue of justice. If you've got your Bible and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and take it out and go to Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, uh, we're, we find the, the basic text that we're preaching through to, to help us really refresh our focus. And this whole idea of justice is, a, is an important one. Uh, I could go on and on about what I don't mean about justice. There's a lot of definitions that are out there, and I'm not going to take the time to do that. Instead, I'm just going to give you a definition, and then I want to show you the scripture and then, and then challenge us to walk in it. So let me give you this definition. Justice is the standardized, standardized treatment of all people made in the image of God that protects, provides for, and produces a society that recognizes human dignity and the sacredness of human life so that all interactions are fair, respectful, and cause human thriving. It's a lot. There are three presuppositions found in Scripture that this definition is really based on. The, the first one is the fact that God is the sovereign maker. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, it says, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and made them man, when they were created, we who are human beings from the moment of conception, we're made in the image of God. That means we have from the moment of conception dignity. We are sacred to God, not because of what we can produce, not because of what people think of us, not, not because of, of, of any, any kind of uh, activity that we're a part of, but because we've been made in the image of God. Our life and every human life is sacred to God. And because that life is sacred, there must be justice. And, and God made humans sacred and demands justice for them. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The foundation for justice is God himself. And God, having made us in his image, demands justice for the lives of those he deems sacred. And so what we have is this God who's provided a standard that is in heaven that enables humans to thrive on earth. That's why Jesus tells us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Justice is to matter to us because justice matters to God. And we must be faithful to focus on justice and its intended purpose. What is its intended purpose? Again, on the screen, human thriving based on human dignity is the purpose of justice. Our text today shows us what to focus on in order to provide justice. And this will be a difficult sermon for some of you to, to listen to. And to understand from, from where I'm coming from, and here's why. Our culture is training us and has trained us to look at everything through a political lens or an ideological lens or through a racial lens or some other sort of abstract lens. And, and what I'm going to attempt to do today is to help us look through a theological lens. To look through a theological lens based upon the Bible makes this personal. 
It's easy to talk about theories. It's easy to talk about ideologies. It's, it's easy to talk about them. You know what's challenging is talk about me. What do I need to be doing? How do I need to be thinking? And the word of God is clear on, on what that is. We are to look to human thriving. That means we are to look as people to care for people. You know I'm not comfortable quoting the living, but I, I feel compelled to do so this morning. Rosario Butterfield says it like this. People are not projects. They are not issues to fix. People are people to be loved. We're talking about people made in the image of God. As people who know and love Jesus Christ, we are to think and to treat them in particular ways and to call others to the same because, again, of our maker and justice and the standard that he has provided from heaven. Our text today challenges us to consider the personal and congregational call we have from God concerning justice. Our text today is verses four and five of Psalm one. You should be there. Let's all now go to Psalm one, verses four through five, and Jack is gonna come and read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, Jack's gonna read where Psalm one, this is verses four and five. Read that for us, brother. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated, I usually ask you to greet one another, but I got too much to say, so let's go. <laughs> There's an iconic image that we use in Christianized, um, maybe you could say westernized cultures uh, that provides for us uh, what it is justice is to be like. It's an image of a blindfolded woman kneeling and holding scales and a sword. This iconic image says so much about what justice is to be like and can be like in a Christianized culture. Notice it is to be blind. There should be no favoritism. All people should be treated with the same honor. It is to be fair. The scales are not rigged. No one's putting their thumb on them. All people should be judged with the same standards. It is to serve. The woman is kneeling to serve. All should be served with the same respect. It is to protect. The sword has a purpose. Each crime should have consistent, fair punishment. Justice has been and always will be difficult in our fallen world. Every society and culture will be challenged with justice and the needs of justice and the demands of justice. Uh, our, our scriptures help us as Christians and allow us to see what is true and right and best. And this morning, what we're going to look at is, is this insight that we need so that we can focus on justice. There's two things that, that we've got to focus on providing. And the first is this. Focus on providing just structures that last. Just structures. I'm going to point to two that we've pointed to before. Um, these are structures that must last in order for justice to be provided. If you look at verse 4, powerful term here, the wicked. The wicked are not so. They're, they're not like, look in verse 1, the blessed man. Blessed is the man. And then there's this description. The, 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 the wicked are not like the blessed man. They're, they're like the chaff. Look at verse three. The blessed man is like a tree. We talked about this last week. Planted by streams of water. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. They don't have a foundation. They are blown about by, by whatever opinion happens to be popular at the time or by whatever power is pressing their agenda on the population. 
And so there is this blowing about, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. In order for there to be justice, there must be a standardized understanding of right and wrong. One of the great challenges of our day is moral relativism. What is this? I'll put it on the screen for you. Moral relativism is the belief that there, are, there is no absolute truth in defining right and wrong. Friends, without absolute truth defining right and wrong, there can be no justice. The wicked will continue to get more and more wicked. We as human beings will, will go from, from bad to worse. Again, I put this on the screen, this definition, this concept of the wicked. The, the wicked are those who reject God's commands based on absolute truth and choose to live according to their desires based on moral relativism. Our, our text speaks clearly as to what happens to them, to the wicked. People in societies living in this moral relativism, they go from one level of wickedness to worse. This happens in nations. This happens with people. Uh, there are people today and nations today that are being counseled. They're being, they're being controlled and they will, they will soon be killed. They will, they will soon be pushed out. They will soon no longer be acceptable. And this happens, explains Theo Hobson, because of moral revolutionary progressions. I appreciate how Dr. Moeller explains this. I'm going to give a quick plug. On Thursday, February the 8th, we're going to be blessed to have Dr. Moeller here in this room. It's a Thursday night. And he's going to talk about the implications of moral relativism. The, the title is Honoring God in a Culture that Celebrates Sin. He's going to go into more detail than I can this morning uh, to talk to us about what, what Hobson has to say here. And we need to understand what, what he has to say because it explains why the wicked are like the chaff, why they get blown away, why they get canceled, and what's going on in our culture. Uh, here's what Moeller writes. First, what was condemned must be accepted. Secondly, what was accepted must be condemned. And that refers to the church's historic teaching. So we were a nation that was built on laws, understanding of the way things worked. And, and that was according to God's word. That's why the Ten Commandments used to be all over the place, especially in our public buildings, because that's what the culture was based on. But no more. That is now condemned. It was not only accepted, it was at the center of the culture. But the moral revolutionaries not only demand that it must be displaced, but that it must be condemned. But finally, and very tellingly, Hobson says that for a moral revolution to come full circle, those who refuse to celebrate must be condemned. So what has happened is not only the condemnation of those who hold to a biblical orthodoxy, what has now happened as the culture has continued to grow in this moral relativism is that there are those who were wicked who are now themselves being pressed out because they're not wicked enough. There are those who were uh, basically going against the, the, the moral justifications of the scriptures, but they didn't go far enough. And so now you have folks that are now being pressed out and being told, no, 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 you're canceled because you're not saying what is cool today. You're not saying what culture demands today. And so they get pushed out. So what's happening in our culture is, is the chaff, the wicked are being pushed out and they keep getting pushed out. The, the wickedness is never enough. And, and, and so each development becomes worse and worse. The old wicked drives out and, and, and there is this new wicked that begins to thrive. And it's a cycle of destruction. Now, the created order of God provides 
the structures that must last for justice to be provided. We've talked about these before. This should not be anything new to you, but I wanna talk about the implications of, of what the lack of these structures do to a society and to people in particular. Understand the created order of God. God's design provides for, first and foremost, at the center of the structure necessary for a thriving society, marriage. Marriage is at the center. It's the structure that must last that provides for the foundation for a just culture. So it says in Matthew 19, 5, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Our, our, our culture is not experiencing some aspects of human thriving because of the desecration and redefinition of marriage. When marriage can mean anything, it means nothing. And so what is happening is fewer and fewer people are getting married because they don't respect the institution. It no longer has meaning because it's become something that can be accepted by almost anybody in anything. And those who are married, sadly, are being divorced at higher levels that we've ever seen in, in, in a human society and structure. And so what, what that's leaving us with is a fatherless culture. As there are more and more no-fault divorce that are being allowed to thrive, these fatherless homes are creating injustice. And I could show you a mountain of statistics. Our preaching team, we were sending each other articles. Just Google it. Google the implications of a fatherless society. And it's heartbreaking and it's terrifying. And that's where we are and where we're going. The wicked today, the chaff will be blown away and there will be something far more wicked tomorrow. And we need to know that. And we need to understand why that is. It's because the, the structure that needs to last, that provides for justice, is, is being disregarded. Along with marriage is family. Healthy families are the lasting structures that provide for justice. Again, Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Friends, that's not happening in so-called developed countries. And, and it's, it's a terrifying reality. There are countries that are not going to be able to reproduce themselves. Google Japan. Google Japan and their dropping birth rate. And read about the implications of what will happen to that culture in the next 50 years. It's dying because they are not producing families. They are not producing offspring. So what will be the result? There will become older generations that will not be cared for and they will be treated with injustice. They will be encouraged to die. They'll be encouraged to go away because they will be a problem. Rather than people to be honored and respected and treated with dignity, they will be told, no, 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 you are sucking up resources that, that could be given to others that, that, as far as our definition, are more meaningful than you. That is an injustice. And that is what is happening. And that is what is going to happen. Why? Because the lasting structures given by God's design in the created order of marriage and family is creating orphan-like and widow-like people who are not being cared for by family. And, and, and so what are we supposed to do with that? 
What are we as Christians to do in, in, a, in a world where there has been and where there's going to be more and more orphan-like and widow-like people? It's interesting to me that God has given us a direct command 2,000 years ago through the writing of his half-brother James as to what we as Christians are to do. In light of this fatherlessness, this, this orphan-like and this widow-like reality that, that exists in cultures, especially where God's design and created order is being ignored. This is James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We are to seek to give care to the very ones that because of a disrespect, distrust, and destruction, because we have rejected the lasting structures that God demands for a, a, a human thriving society, marriage and family, there are now going to be more and more widow-like and orphan-like individuals. Now, now, what are we to do first and foremost? Please understand, first and foremost, we've got to take responsibility for us. One of the most just things you can do is to stay, to get and stay married, to create and maintain a healthy family, and then to care for that family. Let me read a scripture that might be terrifying to some. This is 1 Timothy 5. I'm going to read verse 4, then I'm going to read verse 8. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. We are to care for the elderly. We are to care for those who cannot care for themselves. We have a responsibility for that in our family. Parents, care for your kids. Kids, care for your parents. Care for grandparents, great-grandparents. We have a responsibility. Look what it says in verse 8. This is terrifying. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You didn't know that was in your Bible, did you? That's strong language, folks. We are to create marriages that last. These are the lasting structures that provide justice. We are to thrive in families because it's in caring for our families that justice is lived out and there can be human thriving. And then we have to reach beyond our comfort and, and be mindful of the care that is necessary that God demands. The poor among us that do not have family to care for them. What does Jesus say about this? This is Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Jesus said, then he, will, the, the judge, the God, the Almighty, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Considering this, I would challenge you to answer some, some very basic questions. Number one, what are you doing to prepare yourself, to provide for yourself a healthy marriage? 
we have, we have pled with you and we're pleading with you now. If you're about to get married or you've been married for less than two years, go to Merge. Invest the time. It is an investment. Invest the time to create a healthy marriage. If you've been married for more than two years, re-engage. Learn what you don't know. Get ahead of any challenges that are on, your, on their way so that you can continue to sustain a healthy marriage that will provide human thriving. The other is, am I doing all I can in my family relationships? Am I honoring my parents? Am I caring for my kids? Are we caring for the, the sick in our own household? We must make that a priority. And then lastly, am I, am I doing all I can to care for the poor? I'm grateful for our deacons and the way they minister to our widows. I'm grateful for our local impact ministry and the many ways that we seek to care for the city. How we care for the orphan-like. That's, that's our new challenge, friends. Uh, I've asked Daniel Super. Daniel, if you would mind, he's coming up. Daniel's one of our elders. Uh, he, was, he was one that we tapped to be on uh, a, a team that could research what's going on in our city as it pertains to foster care. So Daniel, tell us, what did you guys learn yeah, about a year ago, you commissioned a team to, to take a look at our city critically and say, how can we help um, in the foster care system? What's going on? So I want to give you a few numbers. I encourage you to write these things down. Uh, 8,000 plus kids in our state are currently in foster care. In our region, over a third of those 8,000 plus kids are in our region. Hmm. Warren County is ranked 88th out of 120 in terms of the rate of kids going into foster care. 30% higher than the state average. We have a real crisis of kids coming into care and needing parents to step up to be foster parents to bring these kids in. We need over 200 new families just to meet the need. And, you know, it, we're talking about justice. You know, it is, it is an unjust for a baby to be born addicted to drugs. And somebody has to take care of them as they come off of it. That's happened twice in my house. It's unjust for a toddler to be removed because they've been neglected and abused. It is unjust for a teenager to lose his or her parents to tragedy. But it's also unjust for those kids to come into the care of the state and have to sleep at the DCBS office because we don't have homes for them to go into. And so uh, we want to encourage you to do two things. To think about, am I giving what I've been given? Some of you need to become foster parents. I'm gonna encourage you to do that. We're gonna talk about what that looks like three weeks from today, following the 11 o'clock service in the fellowship hall from 12.30 to two o'clock. You can come hear from DCBS officials. You can hear from uh, some people who have done this. You can ask your questions. It's not gonna be hard sales pitch. It's just gonna help you understand what does it look like to serve foster kids? How can I serve in that way? I would encourage you to consider volunteering for the James 127 night, which is the following day, 5.30 to 7 o'clock. Active foster families bring their kids to this church. We feed them, we have fun with them, we play games with them, and the, the parents get a little bit of a break, maybe go on a Valentine's Day date. But I would also encourage you to consider, what else can you do? What have you been given that you should be giving. Some of you are not necessarily of, uh, let's say, child-rearing age. Maybe you're on either side of that curve. You're currently too young or you've, you see yourself as uh, too old. You've already done that. You still have been given something. 
you can mentor and you can tutor and you can make meals and you can deliver those meals and you can pray for those families. We are setting up as a church the infrastructure for you to get involved because we've been called to do this. Amen. If only we were passionate about it, right? Hey, let's hear it for Daniel. Uh, After the service, he's going to be out here in the hallway. Come ask him questions. Come learn. How can you give a meal? How can you help with the family? Let me tell you one quick thing we, we talked about this morning. Our, the thrift store with the pregnancy center. Um, families that do uh, foster care, they're going to be able to go there and, and get free stuff. They're going to be able to get good clothes. They're going to be able to get things that they need for that. So give your stuff to them. <laughs> And let them give that away and then sell it. And all the funds go to fund uh, the pregnancy center and, and um, our counseling center. But all that to say, friends, you can make an extra dinner. See, when a the, when the family gets called, they got about 30 minutes. Then they get that child. And, and lo and behold, do we have clothes? Do we have food? Do we have uh, the car carrier? Sometimes no. That's where we can step in. That's where we can provide these resources. That's where we can go mow their grass so they can have an extra hour or two. It's when we can do their laundry so that they can have an extra hour or two. This is hard work and we can help. And I think sometimes just doing something says we care and you're not alone. And that means so much. We have an opportunity to take the blessings that God has provided us as Christians who understand the necessity of these lasting structures and to be able to invest that blessing in, into people's lives and it will make a difference. We're to do what Jesus did. Remember 2 Corinthians 8, 9? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus didn't do what was comfortable. He did what was hard so that he could impact our lives and provide for our needs and we can do the same. We can follow in the footsteps of our Lord. It begins with our marriages and our families and then with our hearts being willing to be passionate about the things that, that God himself is passionate about. There's a second thing, and I encourage you to write down and be challenged by it, is, is focus on providing righteousness that is rewarded. Righteousness that is rewarded. Look at verse five. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Jesus reached down grace and truth to save us. He will soon return and he will bring judgment and truth to bear on every life that has ever been lived. We have an opportunity by faith in Christ to be made righteous. And as those who are made righteous, we can then provide just righteousness. An example of this is Abraham. By faith, he was saved. By faith, he was made righteous. And it says in Genesis 18, 19, God speaking in his triune person, for I have chosen him that he may uh, command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised him. There is a reward that comes to obedience by faith and what God commands. And what God has commanded is right and true and best. And that's what we are to pray towards. That's what we're to pursue as we pray. As Jesus said, again, Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as, as Christians, one of the things we have to do is to honor the structures that God has determined, not only in family and in marriage, but then in government. 
And I know that that's a challenge in any broken world, and our world is broken. And so there's never going to be a perfect government. There's never going to be a perfect system. But as Christians, we are to focus on providing just righteousness that God rewards by honoring law enforcement. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. If you can only honor that which is perfect, then you can only honor God. And there's no other thing on this earth that you can honor. And that's not what God commands. God calls us to, he commands us to honor the government systems and their authorities. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. By the way, the emperor he was talking about was far from moral. Far from honest, far from trustworthy. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. You can read that uh, ongoing, but what it basically says is we need to honor these institutions and we got to help support and strengthen lawful systems. We got to make sure that, that punishment is fair. And, and this is challenging in our day and it's challenging to trust government because so many in government have proven untrustworthy. We have had so many, and we saw it in COVID like never before, what is good for thee is not good for me. As Christians, we must be willing to sacrifice so that the standard that God blesses is one that we hold to. We must not be like the wicked. What we have seen in our government systems, I appreciate what Bruce Walkie had to say about this. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Friends, we must not be like the wicked. We must be the righteous and we must pursue that which our righteous king rewards. And he rewards faith. He rewards us pursuing and, and, and honoring what he's put in place. And we must understand that there are limits to the, the human institutions that are meant to protect we are to honor the police. The police are not perfect. There are challenges there. They don't, they don't have the resources to be perfect. They don't have the training to be perfect. And we need to understand that there, there are people that are living in difficult situations. A dear friend who lives in an urban area was not witness, but he was very aware of a crime. And he was asked, did you call the police? He said, of course not. And they said, why not? They said, because the police will come and then they will leave. And then the people who are actually in authority over this neighborhood are going to come and visit me and they're going to threaten me and my family. And that's not fair, is it? But that's the reality. Because of the failing structures that our culture has created in rejecting what God has designed, has created vast injustice and pain and suffering. Can we fix all that? No. What can we do? We can love people, not treat them as projects, not treat them as things that are problems. Just love them as people made in the image of God and honor them. Now, I must tell you, if you're not a Christian, you're gonna to struggle to do that, and here's why. Because without Christ, you are going to be tempted and most likely tend to live in pragmatism. Is it good for me? Does it work for me? That's why everybody, not everybody, that's why so many people 
cheat on tests. This is why so many people lie and steal. They justify the behavior and they say, I'm not hurting anyone else badly. It's not a big deal. But what happens? You're asking yourself the wrong question. You're saying, is it, is it okay for me? I'm not saying it's okay. Is it okay for me? Can I get away with it? And that's the life that you have to live in a broken culture. And that's the life that many of you are living. And I want to tell you, that is the life of the wicked. And that is the life that is going to cause brokenness to you and everyone near you. There's a better way. It's the way of Christ. It's the way that says, Lord, I don't know what's best and I don't trust me, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you, are, you know right and wrong. I'm going to trust that your will is perfect. I'm going to trust that you love in a perfect way and I want to learn to love as you love. And I want to give the love that I receive to other people. And I want to give the forgiveness I've been given to other people. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means that you have been forgiven of your sin and you've been given what you don't deserve so that you can turn around and forgive other people and give them what they don't necessarily deserve in love the same way God's given it to us. And it, you can't give what you don't have. If you don't have the love of Jesus Christ ruling your heart and your mind, you can't give it. All you can give is a crass pragmatism that says, get yours while you can, and I'll help you as much as I can, as long as it doesn't disrupt what I want to get. And that's what our world lives like. That is not the way of God. That is not the way of Christ. And I would challenge you to live the way of Christ, to receive the way of Christ, and be transformed by the presence of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear me. Let's live like Christ. We can't, we can't fix everything. We, 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 we don't have the power, but you know what we can do? We can choose to love and we can take what we've been blessed with and we can give it. We can give our blessings and we can see what God would do. And so Christians, I wanna challenge you to give your blessings. What are your blessings? What has God provided you? Give and see what God does, not only in you, but through you. This is the way of God. I want to pray for us, and then I want to bless the redeemed with Romans 15. So let's stand together. Fathers, we now close and we come to this time of prayer, mindful that there are some who maybe need to stay back today to talk about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have you be the director, leader of our life, the one who forgives us of all of our sin so that we, by faith, can be made righteous and pursue your righteous reward that is just. God, that we would help others who are lost with loving truth, help them to understand the reality of their situation and the, and the society as a whole and point them to, to what is true and right and best according to your word. And Lord, for those of us who do believe, God, cause our faith to be functional and real so that it's meaningful. Allow us to take to heart the truth of your word and the demands you have for those you've saved and allow us to share the blessings that you have bestowed upon us for your glory, for the good of others, and also for our blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.